Hey, dog fans, it's the Dogcast, episode number 227. Uh, I'm your host of the Dogcast. I'm Derek. I'm here in the bunker, still in the bunker by myself, but uh, I do have a special guest for you guys tonight that's going to bring some insights into spring practice. It's been hot, hot, hot in Athens this week. Everything is covered in pollen. I mean, God, every year it seems like the, the pollen just gets worse. Pollen is out like crazy right now. It is smoking like 91 degrees outside. The boys didn't have to practice yet today. They did practice in full pads yesterday, and they're going to be running in shells uh, on Thursday and shorts on Friday. And the G-Day game is coming up on Saturday at 2 p.m. That game is going to be telecast live on Sirius as well as uh, it's going to be telecast, I'm sorry, on CSS. It's going to be on the radio on Sirius and as well as the regular Georgia Bulldog Radio Network, um, 960 here in Athens and uh, 750 over in Atlanta. But uh, I'm going to have more. There's a lot more information because there's a lot of seats that are going to be closed. My seats, in fact, are going to be closed. So I'm going to come back after this interview here in a minute and give you guys some more details about the George, about the G-Day festivities. But... Um, couple of news items I want to cover with you before we get to this thing, just to put your mind at ease. You probably already know this, but the taxi controversy, uh, where we had four black males were in a taxi and were causing all kinds of trouble and running their mouths and stuff. It has turned out that the guys that were doing the troublemaking are not Georgia football players, and that whole story is kind of blown over. Uh, I w- had hoped that the whole time, and I thought the delay in getting the identities of them out was a good sign for us, and it turned out that it was a good sign. They had no idea who those kids were, and they were not Georgia football players. So that was a good thing for us. The sad news out of Athens this week is the third arrest of Montez Robinson, uh, bright star, young player, uh, playing on defense as a linebacker for Georgia. Um, got arrested for the third time for domestic battery, and he has been dismissed from the team. Uh, we've covered his story here on the Dogcast before, and uh, you know he has a lot of backstory. Um, the kid had a really tough upbringing, and I really hate to see his story at Georgia end this way, but I'm hoping that it's not going to be the end of his story, period. I'm hoping maybe he can rally, kind of like Michael Lemon has done. So we'll get uh, we'll cover more of that later as well, but without any more... Uh, pre-game, I'm going to cut right to the interview with David Hale, the beat writer for the Macon Telegraph, as well as the guy, the author of the Bulldogs blog. I'm going to have a link to his blog and his uh, newspaper in the show notes, so you can make sure if you're not up to speed on David Hale, you can get his stuff at the make at Macon.com, and as well as. Uh, he has a, a blog address, which I'm not even going to pretend to try to tell you because you're not going to remember it. Just go to the show notes at dogcast.com, show number 227, and the links for his websites will be right there. So without any further ado, let's cut to the interview with David Hale. All right, so uh, we're on the line here with David Hale, the Bulldog, the Georgia football, Georgia sports beat writer for the Macon Telegraph. David, welcome to the show, man. Uh, what, have you, what have you been seeing? How are you feeling about spring practice so far? I mean, it's hard not to be relatively enthusiastic. I think everybody is just, you know, in general, you got new coaches in there, new schemes on defense. You got, you know, a quarterback competition, which is as sort of, you know, glamorous a showcase item as you can have going on in spring practice. I mean, there, there's plenty of stuff to be excited about, but I, I think, you know, even beyond that, if you start looking at specifics, which in spring is sometimes a dangerous thing to do, 
there's a good bit to be enthusiastic about if you're a Georgia fan because, you know, here's what I, I do. I, you know, I, I have this blog and I write about whatever's going on and offer a few insights or critiques and then, you know, I'll sit back and wait as the comments from fans, you know, pour in and the, the same complaints I heard over and over and over and over and over again last year. And, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I could come up with a list of probably 10 to 12 that were just universal complaints that, it, you know, it, it didn't matter what message board you were on, what talk radio station you were listening to, what fans you just ran into at a bar, they were complaining about the same stuff. And it almost looks like if you made that checklist up last year, it, it really almost seems like this spring they've gone down that checklist and tried to address every single one of them. Now, if you're a fan you can look at it one of two ways. You can say, all right, well, this is great. They're finally addressing all these things that I've been complaining about for the last couple of years. Or you could say, why in God's name weren't we doing this before? I could, I could see both sides of that argument. But, you know, from the change in philosophy for directional kicking to the increased, you know, focus on, on tackling technique to, you know, I wrote about uh, today about uh, just Todd Grantham sort of off the cuff mentioning how they weren't going to, allow a receiver to run free in in the secondary anymore as part of their defensive scheme. And, you know, I brought this up as something that, you know, I've kind of known that has gone on situationally over the last couple of years. And, you know, to hear Todd Grantham actually say, yes, that was happening in the past and we're not doing it anymore, the reaction isn't so much like, hooray, we're not doing it anymore. It's why in the God's name are we doing this all along? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, it's two sides of it. Sure, and I mean, I saw that bit where you said about Grantham not going to let receivers run free, and you know, you think you you, you yeah, th like you said, you think, man, that doesn't seem like rocket science, you know? It, why are we just now getting to this? Why did it? Why did we have to change coaches in order to address this? But and other things like I saw where you wrote, uh, you know, about uh, seniority on the defense, about how the new defensive, I mean, defensive backs coach uh, Scott Lakatos is saying that. You know, we're going to put the best people on the field. And Grantham said, you know, you mentioned last year how we had uh, – where you had Brian Evans and Bakari Rambo. And clearly, you talk about how people say the same things over and over. And the resounding uh, chorus last year was that Brian Evans is not – cannot possibly be the best defensive back we have, on, you know, on the team or good enough to get on the field. And it seems like, at least here in the spring, that Grantham is saying all the right things, that he's going to put the best players on the field and he's not going to you know, put so much priority on, on seniority and things like that. And that's the, that's the kind of thing that fans want to hear. But I've also heard you say, you know, it's springtime and everybody's happy in spring and everybody says the good things and the right things in spring. How, how confident are you, because you see these guys daily and stuff, what do you think, I mean, do you really think this is going to stick and carry over to the fall? What, what's your level of confidence going into the fall? Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I think there's some things that are going to stick. I think there's some things that are going to have an immediate impact. And uh, I really have been immensely impressed with this coaching staff, and not not just in you know the typical spring cliches that you hear from mm -hmm. everybody, right? But but I mean, there's a, a level of specificity to what they're saying that you know you just don't hear that often from coaches in general. But but particularly this time of year, I mean, to talk to Todd Grantham, you know, he is. He is a guy that is excited about what he does. He is extraordinarily knowledgeable, extraordinarily enthusiastic. I mean, that just rubs off on you. And, and you know, I, I hate to kind of treat what, 
what the media sees as being, you know, verbatim what's happening out on the field because oftentimes it's not. I mean, most of the time they're hiding a few things from us or, you know, <laughs> right. rightfully so. A lot, of, a lot of the coaches kind of look at us as being, you know, these aren't football people, so i got to dumb down everything I say for them. And, and, and that probably makes some sense because uh, I'll be honest with you, half of what Todd Grantham says goes right over my head. But he talks in a level of, of you know, specific detail that, you know, it, it's as a football fan, I like, I just like hearing about it. I, I like hearing that sort of X's and O's detail that he can offer. And I mean, that's that's just stuff you didn't hear before. So I, you know, I, I think that's reason to be enthusiastic. But on the other side of it is, you know, most of these players are guys who were playing in in Willie Martinez's system last year. Most of these guys, even the veterans who you would think would be sort of the leaders, these are the guys who have spent the longest time learning the other way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really hard when you have um, you know a, a big transition like this in terms of scheme and coaching staff for you know week one everything to just fall into place. Right. It's so I, there's going to be problems this year. There are going to be blown coverages. There are going to be plays that just didn't work out. The depth at linebacker is uh, a concern, particularly at the outside linebacker sure. position. So you've got to wonder how the pass rush is going to look this year. You know you you, you lost. Uh, guys like Jeff Owens and Geno Atkins and Cade Weston, who had been such, you know, valuable run stuffers up front. I mean, all of those things are things that are legitimately worth being concerned about, and it's hard to say how that's going to play out once the season starts. But right. you know, those are things that we're going to be concerned regardless. I think what you have, at least as a sort of a silver lining to all that now, is that it seems like the ship is at least pointed in the right direction, and. You know, the the one valuable thing that I've kind of heard from some of the quarterbacks who are going up against this defense on a day-in and day-out basis is it's confusing. Right. I mean, it's, it's something that you don't see often. It's not something that, that, you know, the opposition is going to be facing week in and week out. Aside from Alabama, there's really not another team in the SEC that runs anything like this. So the advantage is, is maybe while Georgia's defense is sort of getting used to what they're doing and ironing out some of the wrinkles, they might also have a little bit of that element of surprise advantage as well, is that the teams that they're facing – aren't sure what to expect. So maybe this, this sort of the uniqueness of things and the newness of things sort of balances out on both sides. Well, I think that's going to help our offense. You know, I mean, our offense going up against this new crazy look is, pro- is probably going to help our offense. And, yeah, the, the newness of it is definitely going to help our defense going through the season because people don't have the film libraries and things. They just, you know, they're seeing this defense. Like I said, there's not a whole lot of experience with this going against this defense, which I think, you know, will balance us out a little bit. Now, let's, let's talk a few specifics. You talked about outside linebackers. You know, Daryl Gamble, had been working at outside linebacker, and now with uh, Montez Robinson going off the team, uh, being dismissed from the team, Daryl Gamble's now permanently at the outside linebacker. Uh, do you think he's going to be able to pick that up? Is he going to be able to bring the pressure from the edge uh, in that outside linebacker? Is he happy with that move? I mean, it sounds like he's happy with the move, and, and Mark Rick seems to think it's, it's going to be something permanent. I, yeah. My guess is that that's probably the idea now, but we'll see how some of these incoming freshmen, TJ Stripling and the like, mm-hmm. you know, how they progress. That may free Gamble up to move around a little bit. But, uh, you know, the, if you think back to last spring when, when there was all the injuries at defensive end, they had Gamble playing a little bit of rush end, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a stand-up rusher off the edge. So it's not something he's utterly unfamiliar with. Sure. He, he's not the prototypical guy for this position. And, and aside from, from Justin Houston, I'm not sure that there's anyone on this team that is your prototypical outside linebacker for a 3-4 defense 
like Todd Grantham would like. It's a little bit of mixing and matching at this point to see who fits best. And, and at this point, given the numbers, if you've got to take someone and put someone there, I think Gamble probably is the best fit of the guys currently on the roster to make that move. He's, he's a senior, so he knows uh, at least a, a little bit more about what everyone else is supposed to be doing, what everyone else's roles are. Uh, and he's probably a little more, um, you know, I guess developed in terms of what he can do than a lot of those other guys. So it's, it's probably the best fit, but it's certainly not an ideal fit. Well, talking about linebackers, and, and, you know, I totally agree with you on Gamble. I think he can do it, and he's probably the best guy we got. How about Richard Samuel? I mean, where's Richard Samuel going to fit in? I mean, Samuel's definitely got the speed, and he can make the tackle. Do you think he might get a look at outside linebacker? And if not, what, what is he going to do? Do you see him contributing, and, and where? Well, it's an interesting situation. I was talking to Mark Richt about him last week, and you know, sort of the reading between the lines in, in what Rick was saying, it, it didn't sound like he was particularly optimistic that Richard was going to be contributing this year. I mean, it, his general you know statement was, if we don't think Richard can be, you know, very competitive on the field this year, then we'll redshirt him, and if we think that he can have a significant impact, then we'll let him play. And that makes some sense because, I mean, the kids are already essentially, I don't want to say wasted two years, but he spent two years in a position that's not going to be his future. Right. So, you know, and, and, and he's young as it is, so there's time to redshirt him. Sure. For, for him personally, redshirting might not be the wrong idea. But on the other hand, you know, it, he, he's a phenomenal talent, and then you start to look at some of these numbers at linebacker. There's just not a lot of depth at outside linebacker, and if you take – uh, gamble from inside and move him outside, well, then you're, you're hurting your depth at inside linebacker, and they really don't have a lot there either. Right. So um, that, that, that's where Richard Samuel is working right now is at inside linebacker. I think that's the best fit for him. And I talked to Todd Grantham about him a little bit yesterday, and, and Grantham sort of almost said the opposite of what Rick said in, in so far as he, he basically said, this is a guy who's talented, and we've got to find a way to utilize him. Yeah. So, it, you know, to, to talk to Rick, I would have said, I think Richard Samuel's going to redshirt this year. To talk to Grantham, I would have said, I don't think there's any way Richard Samuel's going to redshirt this year. The beauty, I guess, of it is that there's a little bit more time before that decision needs to be made. Yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can see the case for either way, but, God, the kid's got such a skill set. I mean, he can, he can run and tackle. You think that he could contribute sooner rather than later, you know, but I guess the coaches will make that call. I mean, and I, and I think it'll be right either way. What about uh, what about defensive backs? Vance Cuff having a great spring. Bakari Rambo having a great spring. Uh, Brandon Smith pretty much practicing only with the defense. Uh, you know they're installing new footwork, new set of drills. Lakatos is doing all kinds of new things with defensive backs. What's your feel on how that's coming along and, and what's shaping up in the defensive back? Because you know that's it's been traditionally. You were talking about the, you know that drumbeat chorus from the from the fan base. Defensive backs has has been the place where a lot of people want to see the most change and the most improvement. What's your feel on that so far? Well, I think that there's definitely going to be some change, and, and, and I think improvement as well. And, you know, while those front seven guys are, are really relearning things from scratch and, and being asked to do a lot of different things than they were doing in the past, and in some cases a lot more than they were doing in the past, uh, what what the 3-4 does or allows to do and what Scott Lakatos's scheme allows for in the secondary is to maybe take some of that additional burden off of the, the DBs and sort of let them play to their skills. Now, again, this is another position where it's, you know, the, the coaching staff is inheriting the guys that were here before, and I, I don't know that from a physicality standpoint all of them ideally match up with what 
Scott Lactose and Todd Grantham want to see from their, their DBs. But I think that there is, you know, Lactose is coming from UConn, where that's not a place where you're recruiting the cream of the crop every year. It's not where you make a list of here's the guys we want to get, now let's go out and get them. You sort of work with what you have. And I think he's done a nice job of putting these guys in a position where they can be successful with the skill set that they have. There's not going to be any more of the sort of face guarding from a defensive standpoint. They're going to play the ball more. Georgia's got some significantly good athletes in the secondary, um, and, and I think some of that athleticism was not being properly utilized in the past. You know, again, we, you know, we mentioned earlier the issues about not not letting a receiver run free. There's going to be a little bit more man coverage. They're playing a lot more press, where they're going to get you know some of those receiver those quarterbacks up at the line of scrimmage and have them you know pressing the receivers, bumping them, disrupting them before they can get into their routes. Right. These are all things that that are, are making their jobs easier. It's not additional responsibilities. It's things they can do to make their jobs easier. Now, is there still going to be the occasional big plays? Are they still going to get burned from time to time? Absolutely. Again, it's a work in progress, as, w- as with this entire defense. But I think that there is going to be a lot more opportunities for those guys to make plays than they had in the past where, I mean, honestly, it, it can't get much worse than it was last year. So even if it's a repeat of that, but yeah. on the other hand, you make a few plays, you get a few more turnovers, there's a few more big plays made on the plus side, that's still a win. So no you know, I find it hard to believe that there's any chance that the, that the DBs are going to be worse than they were last year. Yeah, I mean, the bar, I mean, really, the bar is set so low, the expectations are so low, that how can they not possibly be better this year, no matter what they do? You know, and I'll, I'll tell you, just to round out our talk about defense i just want to get your feel on this because it's something that i haven't seen anybody else address i haven't really seen you i haven't seen anybody talk about it you know rodney garner was the kind of the lone holdover from last year's staff and i'm just wondering i just kind of want to get a feel on what your thoughts are as far as the way he's fitting in you know he's he's the veteran he's the alumni he's the guy who's been there you know but also, he's also kind of the odd man out at the same time with all these new guys. How's he gelling with uh, Grantham and Warren Beelan and those other guys on defense? I mean, are they getting along? Are you feeling good vibes there? I, I think it's been an interesting situation. I mean, I, I can't necessarily say with any degree of certainty whether they're getting along or they're not. I mean, they give certainly lip service to it, but, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't say that I've been out and seen them, you know, sharing beers at the bar <laughs> yeah, down on, exactly. you know, on Broad Street. I mean, I just, I, I don't know how they're getting along away from, you know, the on the on the practice field. But you know, Garner's been here for a long time. He mm-hmm. predates Rick, you know. Yeah, no and he's doubt. he's always been he's always been sort of that lone wolf coach. I mean, he is a guy who, you know, he's he's pretty outgoing in his opinions. He doesn't hold back a lot. He's uh, he can be a little bit gruff and surly when he wants to be, and he's one of those guys that the more you get to know him, the more you like him, I think, is is how I would categorize you know, Rodney. He can be a little bit standoffish at first, but the more you get to know him, you, you sort of appreciate the honest approach that he has. Now, I think that's why he's been able to mesh so well with so many different coaches that have come through here, because you know, it, it, he's a professional about how he approaches things. He's uh, He's not going to you know, bullshit you about what he thinks. He's going to tell you what he thinks. Right. But at the same time, he kn- he knows his place. He knows he's not the defensive coordinator. He knows where things stand. And, and he's willing to work with the other people. I mean, he's shown since, you know, 1998 that he's been able to work with a lot of different people, uh, you know, and, and he's, he's there's a reason that he's made it through two head coaches and I think now five defensive coordinators. I mean, there's a reason that he's been able to work with all of them. And yeah. So I, I think there's a mindset among a lot of fans that think, 
you know, Gardner's, Gardner's the odd man out. I don't, I don't think that's the case. He's, he's a little bit of a different animal than, than the rest of the staff, but, but I think it, it, it actually sort of uh, complements what else is going on rather than sort of, uh, you know, doesn't mesh it as well with it. I think he's done a nice job, and it, it, it's a new role for him, too. I mean, he's, got, he's gone from being an inside, inside line coach to coaching the whole defensive line. It's a whole new scheme for him, just as it is for the players. So it's been a learning experience, but, you know, I, I've gotten – and I think it's genuine. I've gotten the same sort of response from him that I've gotten from the players, and that he seems enthusiastic about about what's going on. And you know, he's made no uh, bones about the fact that he'd like to be a head coach sometime down the line. And as a head coach, the more experiences you've been in, the more background you have. I mean, it's just like any job. You know, the more yeah. you've done, the more you've been through, the more that makes you a better you know candidate down the line. So uh, you know, I think you know, worst case scenario, I think he views this as sort of a learning experience that really can only help him down the line. I, I agree, and that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but he has been there for head coaches and defensive coordinators. He's seen a lot of guys come, a lot of guys go, and he's been through this rodeo of the new defensive coordinator you know, more than once. And uh, I think that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that before now. But, um, hey, let's switch over just real quick. Let's switch over to the offensive side of the ball and get your thoughts, because I, I got a few questions for you. You know, of course, the marquee thing is is the quarterback. Everybody wants to know what you're seeing at quarterback. And, you know, through the spring, they've been really splitting. Even with the problems that Mettenberger had off the field, you know, they've really been splitting the the reps and the, the snaps. The kids have been getting the same number of snaps. I think Rick has been really down the line and really, you know, really consistent on giving the guys the equal number of snaps and equal opportunities. And it seemed after the first scrimmage, if you just looked at the stats from the first scrimmage, it seemed like there might be, you know, everybody's wanting to see, everybody wants to know, is there any separation? Who's the best? Who's, who's you know, that's the only question any fan has right now is which one's going to start? Which one's the best? And after the first scrimmage, it's, I, I, I think maybe people were reading into it and thinking maybe Murray was separating himself from the pack. But then I think after this last scrimmage we just had, these kids all had a great scrimmage, and the offense in general had a great scrimmage. You know, are we? What, what is your thoughts on that, man? Can you see any separation in these guys right now? Or are they all just real good? Well, I, I think it's sort of a two-part uh, question in that I think that there is a little bit of separation just because I, I honestly believe that there always was. I mean, I came into this spring thinking that Aaron Murray was, you know, the, the, the leader of the pack in terms of I don't think he had won the job. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there was a quick guy where they said, all right, well, if we need to play tomorrow, we have our guy. But I think that there was some thought that Aaron Murray is probably the leader of the pack. I still think that's the case. Right. And I'm still not sure that, you know, if there was a game, if this G-Day game on Saturday was, you know, the game, they were going up against South Carolina or Arkansas or somebody on Saturday, I'm not sure that they'd be completely comfortable throwing any of them out there yet either. Right. But I think that Murray is, is, is probably the obvious candidate at this point. I think it's his job to lose. But uh, where I think that Mike Bobo and Mark Rick have been very smart in how they've handled this this spring is that, you know, you, you, you not only lost Joe Cox, but you lost essentially the only legitimate experience that you had at the position. Right. And so it wasn't just a matter of developing a starter this spring. They had to develop the entire quarterback position. You had to make sure that not only did you find who your number one was on the depth chart, but that you at least had a number two and ideally a number three to go with it. Because, you know, as we all know, it's a long season, and yeah. particularly when you don't necessarily know what you're going to be able to expect, even if you have all the confidence in the world in Aaron Murray going into week one, that doesn't always mean that 
by the time week two rolls around, you still have all that confidence. Anything can happen. Absolutely. So, you know, I think this was as much about developing the full depth chart at quarterback as it was about finding that starter. And the beauty of it is, as you said, you know, as we've gone through this spring, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily seem like anybody's separated themselves because they've all played, I think, better than most of us were expecting as outsiders. And, and from what I've talked to Mike Bobo and Mark Rick, I mean, certainly they're not completely pleased with everything. Certainly there's more to work on. But I, I think Logan has performed better than was expected, and I think Zach is, has made huge strides in terms of what he's able to do. I mean, you, you just look at his scrimmage numbers from fall camp last year and compare them to his scrimmage numbers this year. And I know the scrimmages don't necessarily always mean everything, and sometimes they don't even mean a whole heck of a lot, but it's night and day. I mean, he was going one for ten in the scrimmages you know, in right, the fall, right. and he's, he's going – He's going eight of thirteen, uh, you know now, or, or you know numbers like that. I mean, it's it's a vast difference. Now, I think where you run into a, a significant problem and where all of this has gone awry is, you know, the off the field incident with Mettenberger, and sure. and the timing of it is just so problematic because how do you, you know, it, it, even if you think he's our best quarterback right now, he's not playing in week one. He and may not play that. in week two. That's yeah, sure. you know that now. So how do you? I mean it's very difficult to essentially be preparing two starters, which is what they're going to have to do. Right. And, and not only are you doing that, preparing two starters, but one of those two starters is a guy you've already identified as you have some concerns about him, which is why he's not the actual starter. Right. So you know, let, let's just say they decide, all right, well, Zach's our starter, but he can't play until week two or week three. So we're going to go with Logan, but we've obviously got some questions about Logan, so we also need to make sure that Aaron's ready to go into the game if Logan doesn't play well. Now you're trying to get all – now you're essentially doing in the fall what you're doing now, and that won't work. You're right. So it, 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 becomes, it becomes a very difficult situation for the coaching staff to work through in terms of managing it if anyone other than Aaron comes out as sort of that lead dog in the, in the fall. Now, uh, again, that's not the only reason that I think that Murray is, is probably still – the high man on the totem pole, but, um, you know, and anything can happen. It, it's still a long ways before the season starts, and, and you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I, I do think that all three of them have performed better than expected to this point. And that's, and it, really, the takeaway is that's the great news. I mean, I, I do think Logan Gray has done better in the spring this year than a lot of people would have thought going into the spring based on his performances last year, which, you know, entirely wasn't his fault. He, he got bad. He got, he didn't get the best setups last year, you know, but, but still. That's the funny thing about Logan is, is everybody, you know, everybody loved him when they hadn't seen anything of him, and then they saw essentially five plays of him and everybody hates him yeah that. exactly so that and guy he, hasn't gotten a fair shake anywhere along the way he really hasn't you know so and i'm i'm really happy for the kid that he has been able to compete and if at the very least he's pushing murray and the other guys with his experience and stuff and and like you said zach is doing a lot better his head is better i think zach is making better decisions but um and you know, and the good news is the takeaway for Georgia fans, I think, is that we really we got three good guys, three good quarterbacks. You know, we went from having no quarterbacks and no experience to now we've got we got three guys that could possibly really play, and that, and that's not a bad problem to have. But uh, also, what about receivers? You know, um, Chris Durham had a great scrimmage. You know, and uh, AJ Green, you know, he's doing. We Marlon Brown, I mean. And uh, Troop is, you know, with the sunglasses and all that kind. Of, I mean, what are you thinking about our receiving core? Everybody's talking about how thin it is, you know. But, um, but what are you thinking about this? How the receivers have done so far through the spring? Well, I, I, I'd be concerned a little bit. I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, you've got the best receiver in the SEC, so that I mean, it's hard to knock the receiving core that has AJ Green in it. And 
it, it is encouraging to see uh, how well Chris Durham has come back this spring. And I, I, you know, I think he offers a lot. I think Tavares King and Rentavious Wooten both showed some real growth throughout the season last year, and I Absolutely. think there's reason to be optimistic about them. But, you know, again, when you've only got six guys on the depth chart right now, you'll have seven when Michael Bennett arrives in the fall. But already Marlon Brown and, and Israel Troop have spent about as much time not practicing as they have practicing this, this spring. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and you just see when a couple little minor injuries like those spring up, how quickly that depth chart shrinks. Yeah, and, and that's problematic. Um, and, and you know, there's there's some upside in the fact that there's such depth at tight end, and they've essentially got four, you know, SEC calib- starting caliber tight ends no on the roster right now. That, that's a that's a luxury, and, and so that offers some, you know, wrinkles that you can add to the passing game that help to make up for maybe a lack of depth at receiver. But that's that's a little bit of an apples and oranges comparison. I mean, as good as Orson Charles is. His best aspect is that he's a tight end, and he's a he's a great matchup for Georgia against a linebacker, you know, or or a, a defensive end. But if you're splitting him out wide and putting a safety or a corner on him, a lot of that advantage of having a guy like Orson Charles goes away because he's not. I mean, he's still a very good athlete and he's still a weapon, but he is not. You know, he's not poised to embarrass the guy on the other side of the ball you're as right. easily as he is when he's lined up at tight end. You're right. So, you know, even even if you even if you try and make that apples to apples comparison, it, it's not as uh, advantageous as you might think it might be. Well, you know, and with our tight ends, you know, which is uh, that's my favorite position, and I love how we we are so stacked, and not just stacked with four SEC starting type tight ends, but we've also got a lot of difference within that core. Like you said, you got Orson Charles and a kid like Aaron White. You Orson is such a fantastic athlete and Aaron White can do a lot of things. And then you got Bruce Figgins, who is this huge kind of old school can really block. Those kids are you know, Aaron White and Bruce Figgins are as different physically, you know, as far as what they bring to the table, I think, as a couple of tight ends that play on the same team could be, you know. And I think it's great that we have those, that depth and those different kinds of tight ends because they're going to, like you said, it's going to add a lot of wrinkles to our passing game and take the pressure off our receivers. And I got a quick question for you, too. You know, they floated that trial balloon thing just a little while ago about A.J. Green possibly, um, you know, returning punts. I mean, it, man, can we put that to bed? I mean, that's nuts, I think. I mean, we, we can't keep A.J. healthy for a whole season when he's not doing anything but play receiver, and we need him at receiver. I hope that trial balloon has been shot down completely. I, I would hope so. And this seems to me like your typical spring story. It's, yeah. you know, you got, a, <laughs> you got a guy in A.J. who he wants to, I mean, and, and God bless him, he wants to be have his hands on the ball as much as possible. And, yeah. and Georgia should want that to a large extent. So you say in the spring, all right, AJ, get back there and return some punts. You do whatever you want, essentially. Uh, but the, the the receiving core being what it is, AJ being as important a player as he is, <laughs> yeah. and, and and knowing that you have other options at punt returner, I don't see how you could make a decision like that. I mean, you have to think smart here. Yeah. He is the most dominating receiver in the SEC. You can't afford to let him get hurt returning a punt. When you've got other people who can be – valuable and dangerous as punt returners as it is. Sure. You know, I, and if you think back uh, a couple of years ago, the whole idea about Noshawn returning punts was floated out there. I think he returned maybe one or two in the season, 
and, and it, it, you know, it got some publicity. It was, it was sort of a fun thing to talk about. But I don't think there was ever a point in which they said, I think Noshon's going to be our regular return, return guy. Now, you think back to the uh, Arizona State game, and they put A.J. Green out there to block a, a field goal, and it turned out to be the difference in the game. Now, is there a point in time where you sort of have that, uh, you know, I'm an Eagles fan, and they would do this with Brian Westbrook all the time. Is <laughs> right. This, all right, we've got to get a return here. It, this isn't. This is a, a, a crucial point in the game where there's going to be a punt, and we need to get a good return here, if not return the, the punt for a touchdown in order to win this game. Well, then do you have A.J. ready so that you can use him in those specific situations? That's maybe not such a bad idea. But the idea of him being your primary punt returner, I think everyone should forget about that. There, there's, there's no reason, rationale, explanation for why that would be a good idea. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. And uh, just to wrap things up, I – you know, we've got Stacy Searles bringing his offensive line back this year. You know, the offensive line really seemed to gel in the second half. I know that's an overused term, you know, talking about offensive lines gelling. But Stacey, Coach Searles was moving people around, trying desperately to find the right fit last year and the right set of guys. And uh, I think he put it together, you know, about midway through the season. And this year he's bringing some kids back. We've got, you know – like I want to call Trenton Sturdivant uh, the luxury of Trenton Sturdivant. You know, we're not we're not relying or banking on Trenton Sturdivant like we used to. And um, how, how are you feeling about the offensive line this year? As I mean, you know, do you think we're going to be as solid there as I think we could be? Well, you know, I think so. I mean, it's certainly a possibility. There's the potential for having a very a, a really dominating offensive line this year. That, that potential was sort of there last year. I mean, yeah, I do remember we thought we were that talking last year. Close to the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that the, what's different this year is sort of the mentality of that they went through what they went through last year. They learned that, you know, simply having X number of starts under your belt does not guarantee anything is going to work well. Um, I think that, you know, a part of, of the, the, the way that things improved last year was just the fact that the running backs got so much better. And I think that that's, that's going to be a big advantage going into this year. And then you mentioned Sturdivant. I mean, I think Sturdivant was really being counted on last year. I mean, I, you know, I mentioned being an Eagles fan earlier. I'm a huge Cubs fan, too. And this is every year we used to go into spring training with Kerry Wood and say, well, if Kerry Wood can be healthy, this rotation could be really good. Well, the problem was Kerry Wood was never healthy. Right. And the only way they could really move ahead was to say, all right, if we get Kerry Wood back, that'll be great. It'll be a huge luxury for us. But we're going to plan for him not being there. Right. I think that's kind of how they're approaching this Trenton Sturdivant situation now, too. I mean, if he can come back and be healthy, well, that's a bonus. But the beauty of this uh, year that's a little different than last year is that Sturdivant is a bonus. He's not a requirement. And right. I think that's, that's sort of got to be the way that the situation works out for now. And, you know, ideally everybody else stays healthy. Now, the, you know, I think there's a little bit of concern about the lack of depth maybe if Sturdivant isn't healthy. A.J. Harmon was really making some big progress this spring and got hurt in the first scrimmage and, and is going to miss the last couple of weeks of the spring. So, you know, that's problematic. Tanner Strickland's been out. They're moving Justin Anderson to the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, beyond that starting five, you know, if they get into a situation like they did in 08 where there's some injuries, you've got a few more questions. There's, there's potential for problems. But, you know, as it stands right now, if things can hold up and if they can put that same five that they ended last year with out on the field to start this year, I don't think there's any reason to not be excited about where this line is at. No doubt. And you mentioned uh, injuries. You know, this has been one of the best springs we've had in, in recent memory as far as green jerseys. We've had not a lot of injuries this 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 spring. You know, uh, 
but Caleb King has been in a green jersey for some, and we keep thinking he's coming back and coming back. And as of yesterday, he still wasn't out. You know, there's no practice today. Uh, they're going to run uh, shells tomorrow and Friday, and then we got the scrimmage on Saturday, and uh, that's it for the spring. Um, do you, you know, running back is probably one of the pro, one of the one of the positions where we're most you know, we really know what we got there. We we really are feeling good about Caleb King at the tandem with King and Ely. Everybody's saying, well, Sean Ely is light years ahead of where he was last year in terms of knowledge of what he's supposed to do and where he's supposed to be. Um, any worries about running back, about that tandem and, and about Caleb King's durability this year? I wouldn't be worried about it. I mean, durability is always a little bit of an issue, and particularly for a guy like Caleb who has been banged up in his career, you know, right. both in high school and since he's been at Georgia. But, you know, from everything that I've been told, um, and I'm I'm feeling fairly confident in the information I've gotten on this, is that it is a fairly minor thing. There's no structural damage whatsoever. But when you've got a position that is, A, going to be so crucial for Georgia this year with a new quarterback, and, B, something that's already pretty established, you know what you've got with these guys, I don't see a single reason to try and put a guy out there before he's ready just so he can show off for the fans on G-Day. It's just it's it, no one needs to see that. So if Caleb's knee's feeling fine, if he's completely 100% healthy, I'm sure he'll, be, he'll want to play on G-Day. But if it's not, I don't see any reason to risk it. And then again, I, I don't think that there's anything significant there. But what you what you do run the risk of is if you put a guy out in practice, if you put him out in a you know, a scrimmage situation, you know, where he's going to be facing contact, where that knee's going to be subjected to some, you know, some, you know, harsh cuts and things like that, then, you know, you, you, you risk turning what is a very small problem into a very big problem. And if, if that happens, then you start having a lot more questions about George's offense. Right now, the questions are limited to the quarterback position. And I think very much that Mike Bolo and Mark Rick would like to keep it that way. Yeah. Well, I know, um, I know. I just keep asking questions. This is the last question, though. I just wanted because I know you've been a big fan. I know you've been out front on this Montez Robinson thing. I say this to the end. Um, you know, we had we had taxi. I don't know if you want to call it taxi gate or whatever. You know, but uh, the taxi story kind of came and went, and we found out that uh, there was really only one player involved, and he was kind of a peacemaker there trying to make it better. I really thought the whole time I heard the taxi story, I thought we were going to dodge that bullet because. You know, at no time was there anybody identified or anything, and I think if they were players that were really causing those problems, I think we would have had identification, and it would have blown up a lot sooner and would have been a lot bigger story, and it just never developed. Um, I'm glad the taxi story kind of came and went, but I'm also really sorry to hear about uh, Montez Robinson getting in trouble again, you know, because with his past and stuff, and, you know, he'd been given extra chances and stuff, and I was really hoping he was going to be able to make the most of this most recent break he got from the coach coaching staff and I was really sorry to hear that uh, he got in trouble again and has has been dismissed from the team. Do you do you have anything to add? I I know you know as much or more about Montez's, you know, history as pretty much anybody in the press. Um do you have anything to add to the Montez Robinson story or is this, is this just pretty much the end of it? Yeah, I mean there's very little to add in terms of of of, of context that I, you know, I haven't written about or said, but I mean it, it's a tragic story and I think you know, uh, for, for fans who don't know enough about Montez or don't really understand exactly what he's been through, it, it's very easy to criticize. I mean, this is a guy who had essentially three chances and mm-hmm. and you know went down swinging each time. I mean, I, it's it, it's an unfortunate thing, but I think 
you know, what, what is, is really hard for people who didn't grow up like that to understand is just how hard it is to sort of break out of that cycle that of, of you know, bad decisions and bad behavior when, when you've never been taught otherwise. I mean, I, I know Montez knows the difference between right and wrong, but that's not really what it comes down to. It, you know, it comes down to having the tools to to handle your emotions properly, to channel your anger properly, to to not just say, you know, in you know when you and I are talking to say, okay, this is the right thing to do, but in the heat of the moment to be able to say that too. And I mean, how many of us have made this, those same kind of mistakes that you know we know we know we did something stupid, but in the heat of the moment we weren't able to stop ourselves from doing it. I I, I know how that how that feeling is, and when you have been raised the way that Montez was, it, it's it's ten times harder. So you know. I, I don't ask anybody to condone what he did. I don't ask anybody to, uh, you know, call Mark Richt and beg for them to him to put Montez Robinson back on the team. Uh, the, the situation has played out the way that it had to play out. Mm-hmm. But uh, he does. He's not entirely unworthy of, of people's sympathy at this point. I mean, he's he's a he's a good kid who's made some bad choices, but he's also been dealt a real bad hand. So, um, but you know, I I work for the Macon paper. Um, and and I know Michael Lemon a little bit, who's from the Macon area, and, right. and his is not an entirely different backstory either. I mean, uh, he's a guy who who was raised without a dad, whose mother was murdered while he was at Georgia. I mean, I, I can't imagine a, a a much worse circumstance than what Michael Lemon went through, and and the outcome was unfortunately very much the same: some issues with violence, mm-hmm. uh, and and essentially being kicked off the team, and but. But to know Michael Lemon, he's one of the sweetest kids you'd ever want to meet. I mean, right. that, that kid's got a smile that lights up a room. He is a, a great kid. And, and then, you know, I went down and, and hung out with him when he was at Georgia Military for a day uh, in, in 08. And I mean, it, it seemed like, you know, that it took what happened, as unfortunate as it was, as it, was it, it took what happened happening for the light to sort of click on for him and for all of that to kind of come into context. And he went to GMC. He, he really did get a handle on things. He was a much better and a much happier person. He's at North Carolina State now. He's playing. He's doing yeah. well. And, and that bright future that everybody hoped he would have, he still has it. It just took a few more you know, obstacles to overcome. And, and, and knowing Montez as I do and knowing all the stuff that he's been through, I, I can only you know, hope and pray that, that he has those same opportunities that Michael Lemon had. Man, that's well said. Well said, buddy. I appreciate that. Um, listen, I really appreciate you being on the show, David, and uh, I'm sure everybody who listens to the Dogcast, I mean, you're like a fire hose of information, dude. That is that's awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, David Hill writes for the Macon Telegraph. You can check him out. Get his stories at Macon.com. He's all over the web. This guy covers, covers the Georgia Bulldog football program like do. Uh, David, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for your time, man. Hey, my pleasure. We can do it anytime. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. Wow, that guy is just a he is a fountain of information. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know that. I mean, maybe that wasn't very funny. I don't guess that guy's he's too busy talking. I mean, he's he's serious. David Hill's all business all the time, man. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that show. Uh, brings you fully up to speed on the Bulldog football program. A lot of you guys have been reading David Hill for years. Nobody's ever, you know, you may have never heard him if you're overseas or something, listen to the podcast in Iraq or China. You may, you probably never heard David Hill before. So I hope you guys thought that was a treat. Now, on to uh, GDAD. I just want to let you guys know a few more details about it. This year, the game is free. 
Um, you know, last year the game was free, but you had to make a canned food donation or something like that. This year it's just straight up free. There's no donation. There's no $5 at the gate, which goes to local homeless shelters. Not, there's no nothing. It's just walk-in. Gates are open. Gates open at 1130. The game kicks off at 205. It's going to be live on television, CSS. It's going to also be on, like I said, the Bulldog Radio Network as well as Sirius and XM. Uh, before the game, like I said, the gates open at 11:30. The game starts at 2:05. Before the game, you have the alumni flag football game, which is pretty fun. If you can get there early, there won't be a whole lot of people there. You can get down really close to the field. They're going to have about 80 former football players, some really old guys, some really you know pretty recent guys. And um, it's pretty fun watching those old dudes play flag football. So uh, they're, you know, it's, it's very uh, kind of fun. They they chatted up and talk and trash talk and stuff, and it's pretty cool. Uh, the only big thing you need to know, if you don't already know this, is that my side of the stadium, uh, the north side of the stadium, sections in the 100, all levels basically, 100, 200, 300, and 600 from basically i think the whole half i mean from section 1 basically 101 to 113 uh the visitor side if you will that whole side of the stadium is closed and all those gates are closed too because of the construction they're doing over on reed uh the reed plaza so that whole side of the stadium basically from top to bottom is completely closed so um, the gates, if you're used to using gate two or gate three or gate four, um, the ones that kind of face uphill there going up towards Baldwin Street, um, those gates are all going to be closed as well. So you're going to need to be uh, entering on the uh, what I call the shady side, the home side, whatever you want to call it. Um, you're going to need to be sitting on the south side of the stadium, which is kind of opposite the way it usually is. I think in years past, they've had that side of the stadium closed. This year, it's going to be the opposite. So make sure you enter on the south side gates um, on the home side. That's where we're all going to be sitting this year. So that's pretty much all you need to know. The game is free. We need a big turnout. The game is going to be on CSS. So as usual, we want a huge turnout. Um, we want as many people on TV as we can, just so it looks good for TV. You know, we want to make sure we get turn the crowd out. So, um, everybody get there, and you know, bring a canned good anyway. Bring a canned good, and uh, we'll put them in some boxes there at the gates or something. You know, I think they may be doing the um, the food drive. I'm, I'm not sure. They haven't mentioned much about the food drive this year, but hell, bring a canned good anyway. So. That's it, dog fans. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Thanks for listening. I'll be back probably one more show after G-Day just to wrap up the G-Day stats, and then we'll be into summer break. So thanks for listening, dog fans. Go dogs, Dude, uh, it's Jeff in Boise. Listen, I know I've been real quiet this season, but, man, you can't just leave me hanging way out here in Idaho with no explanation as to what happened to old dog. What happened? I mean, we ain't asking you to gossip or anything, but I'm not in the know down there, and apparently a lot of people knew about it. At least your podcast kind of kind of alluded to that fact. And I'm just real curious, man. Uh, fill the beans. Come on now, out with it. <laughs>